In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I have a tremendous show for you today, a tremendous guest. I would like everyone listening right now to meet the unapologetic Gregory Fry, your frontline general in the battle for brand relevance, armed with deep experience as a storyteller in branding and marketing. He's the strategist you want when conquering the digital frontier. This guy doesn't deal in illusions. He crafts real strategies that bring real results. What's in Gregory's arsenal, you ask? He's got content marketing, copywriting, brand storytelling, marketing automation, and email strategy, all wrapped up in a straight shooting, no BS approach. They're not tricks. They're the building blocks of sustainable brand growth. But wait, there's more. As a board member of the Association of Cannabinoid Specialists, Gregory has taken his long involvement in cannabis to the next level. He's not just blowing smoke. He's helping shape the conversation and deepen the understanding of cannabinoids. If you're tired of marketing gurus who will peddle catchphrases and fluff, you found your antidote. Gregory Fry is the down-to-earth strategist who's been in the trenches, challenging the status quo every step of the way. He's not just another marketer. He's your unfair advantage in a crowded marketplace. So tune in and get ready to challenge everything you thought you knew about branding and marketing Gregory Fry, thank you so much for being here today. How are you, my friend? Hey, George. Great. Thank you for having me. The pleasure's all mine. Before we got started, I, you and I were sharing a little bit about our love of language and, and the world we're living in. And, and uh, I, I kind of got one I want to open with here, just kind of set the tone a little bit. How does language shape our perception of reality? And how, in turn, does this influence the strategies we employ in our lives? Wow. What an interesting <laughs> question. Wow. I'm coming out hard. You know, I think it all comes back to storytelling, like everything with me. Um, 
And storytelling is as important as language itself. Storytelling is how we make sense of the world around us. It's how we choose what to say yes to, what to say no to. And I think they should teach it in schools, frankly. And it's it's amazing how, you know, we're talking about branding and marketing here. There's some excellent storytellers in the space, uh, depending on which industry you're looking in. Um, but I, it, it, it boggles my mind of how, how many marketers are in this space who, and frankly, it's not just marketers. It's, you could apply this to any aspect of business. Uh, people who take storytelling for granted, just like they, you know, that, that's akin to taking communication for granted, taking language for granted. Imagine trying to run your business without communication you won't get very far it's it's the same thing with storytelling i don't know if that answers your question but for me it always comes back to storytelling which is it's the one thing that, that unites everybody as humans we all love a good story and if the story's boring or confusing uh we tune out we we say no we reject we go somewhere else or we ask questions and try to dive deeper but usually people prefer stories that are compelling yeah, it's well said. It's a great answer. I like to start off with a question sometimes to to get people thinking about it. But as we talk about stories and interesting ways in which we arrive at destinations or the truth, maybe you could share with people how you arrived where you are today. Maybe give us a little bit of a backstory about you. Wow. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. Yeah, let's go back to 2008. I was a journalist for a newspaper, an army newspaper called the Fort Campbell Courier. Uh, I was crushing it, winning awards. I got offered a, a, a job with the government to be basically like PR for the military. Uh, it would have been like an internship at the Pentagon, all sorts wow. of crazy stuff. I turned it all down. I rejected it. I gave away all my stuff. I sold my car and I moved to Athens, Greece to focus on writing novels and screenplays. It's all I cared about. And, you know, I was interested in exploring this budding relationship with a young lady here who became my wife. And I, I thought I'd only be here for a year, but it turned into 15 years. It's, I'm still here. Um, but I, so I was here writing novels, writing screenplays, moonlighting as an English teacher in the evenings uh, with mixed results. <laughs> uh, that, that was, that, that's a whole other experience. But when I, you know, after my first child was born, I realized, wow, I got to pay some bills. I can't just sit around here writing novels and screenplays like this. I, so I quickly discovered that that all these all this storytelling I cultivated, you know, we're talking big picture thinking, pattern recognition, pattern disruption, connecting dots, problem solving, problem finding. Uh, all this stuff is a great match for the business world, um, like we were talking about before. And, and so I've in 2015 I. I joined the founding team of a company called Greenflower Media. Now it's just Greenflower. Uh, became part of the founding team, a founding executive online editor. Um, that was, we can we can dive into that experience if you want. But 
Absolutely. Um, now it's one of the biggest cannabis education and training platforms out there. Uh, but after five years of that, I, I, I parted ways with green flower and, uh, a publication called the bluntness snatched me up to do their executive editing. So I helped build, I helped build their online presence, um, their, their editorial presence. We did a lot of great work there. I got a little bored with that after a couple of years. And so I, I parted ways with the bluntness at the beginning of this year. And it, it's, it's been an interesting journey ever since. Um, uh, I learned the hard way that the cannabis industry is struggling um, with purchasing power and is totally burned out on, on ineffective marketing uh, efforts to the point where they've a lot of them have completely lost faith in marketing just because they've been burned by opportunists coming in with outdated marketing tactics. Uh, so you see very little uh, demand generation going on in cannabis. There's no storytelling hardly. After legalization, all the storytelling stops, which is mind blowing to me. Um, a lot we could say about the cannabis industry, but it, I've spent the past year a lot of tinkering and refining. I've just launched my new consulting platform, Gregory Fry Consulting. You know, we're focused on working with brands and enterprises to get the storytelling, get the brand story dialed in, get the marketing storytelling, the the marketing communication automation dialed in uh, to a point where it's the ROI is there. Your marketing is doing what it's supposed to be doing. You're out. You're not just posting glamour shots of your product on Instagram. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're out there reaching a well-defined target audience. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that, you know, with cannabis storytelling, you know, this effort to change hearts and minds is really important even after legalization, because, for every one person who loves cannabis, there's countless of others who uh, don't don't have a plot point with cannabis in their lives yet, or, or they haven't embraced it or figured it out for themselves. And I don't see anybody going for that. They're they're too hung up on on all the restrictions and razor thin margins, and you know. It, but it wouldn't take much to to reach some of these people. And, and I've actually pitched some very what's the word some very courageous strategies to a few operators not many you know you know i've got ideas about how we can for example start to convert uh you know conservative christian groups to, to 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 embrace cannabis for example just one example like i don't see anybody talking about these guys yet there's a really easy path to to engaging them and you know, it, it goes back to, to health and wellness and, and, and medical cannabis. And, you know, when you're, when you're trying to tell a story, when you're trying to inspire action uh, to a specific audience, in this case, whether it's B2B or B2C, y- you need to have this emotional draw. You need to influence your audience emotionally. Of course, you can't do that if you don't know your audience or if right. you're trying to just market to everybody. You can't do that. Uh, you have to know your audience. And with cannabis, though, it's it's so easy to 
to go for that emotional core uh, on the medical side. Yeah. And, and but the, the, you know, the conversations around medical, it's, they, they sort of dissipate after a state embraces adult use. And again, it's just, it's mind blowing to me that, that so many people are overlooking that. And, and whenever I do find a brand that is focused on uh, reaching that health and wellness audience, it, my ears perk up because, uh, wow, that's a nice <laughs> comment. Um, my, my ears perk up at that because that's, that's, that's why I got into the cannabis industry right. to add value to other people's lives. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not here to get rich. I'm here because I believe that everybody deserves safe access to this plant and, and everybody deserves, uh, you know, guidance. And I believe there's a, a cannabis product for everybody, whether it's a, a topical or putting like THCA on your salad. If I'm running marketing ops for like a, 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 a retailer or a brand, my job's not done until we've converted everybody in the county to some kind of cannabis product because there's really easy ways to uh, you have your primary target audience and you have secondary target audiences. There's very simple frameworks we've developed where you can, it's easy to experiment with these secondary target audiences to see, see what happens and decide whether you want to double down there or, or further experiment or, or try a different secondary target audience. And, I'm rambling now, but you got me excited about all this, George. <laughs> well, right back at you. I think it's an incredible – on some level, I think the story is changing in the lives that we live. You know, And, and if you look at the way in which – we'll take cannabis, for example. The story used to be about the name of the plant, the White Widow or the Maui Wowie. There was this incredible story, and you had characters like Cheech and Chong. And, you know, this was this story that fed the people's imagination of what is possible. And as we've grown up with our relationship, and I think this transfers to other things as well, is that, hey, now all of a sudden I can turn this label and there's a there's what the Terps are, and there's these different parameters in which we are measuring the success or we're changing the imagination of it. So the story is maturing, and, and that may mean that the way in which we have monetized it has to change as well. Because like you're right, the, 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 the legacy marketing, the, the legacy marketing, it seems to me, has has decided that the only way we can do it is through the medical container. You know, and then that, that maybe that's where the grants are. Maybe that's where the heartstrings are, but it's such a narrow part of the story. I'm not saying it's not a good part of the story. Clearly there's some really compelling stories there, but it's, it's like a snapshot. You, you know, when you start talking about salad dressing or when I think of Christians, I think of the burning bush, like, Whoa, there you go. How about the story in the Bible? Like that's already right over there for somebody, you know, but yeah, I mean, is there, is there something that's happening in the world where we're moving on to a new part of the story? Is this a bigger part of the picture? Maybe you can run with that for a moment. Well, I think my sense is I've been talking to a lot of cannabis founders lately. I've been talking to people on the finance side of things. Um, my sense is that, people are starting to realize they need to 
they need to go deep, not wide. Um, you know, there's this tendency for investors to come in and push for that top line revenue immediately, right. which I think is part of the reason why we, we see so many uh, brands out there just targeting everybody that smokes weed and, and they think the product will sell itself. And there's other, I think there's other nuances to that, but you know, when you don't give these operators time and support to help them fully optimize their, their business model before going after the, the, the top line revenue, it, it's a very shallow approach. And the Scott Jennings out in California, who's, he's got a really interesting, uh, set up he, he spent he spent a few years optimizing his business but the, the it's people like him who are well positioned to create long-term success because man i'm losing my train of thought scott um, jennings optimizing top line top line revenue some of the marketers coming in today are are not really allowing for that Yes, the, I think that the, the investors, they're in a way, they're setting up these operators for failure mm -hmm. by not better understanding the market and, and some of these harder to reach opportunities. Yes, it's, it's hard. It can, it can seem harder to reach like a target demographic, like, like we said before, like conservative Christians, right. for example, um, which, by the way, country music has way more drug references in it than any other genre of music. I don't think people realize that, but it's a total side note. Um, but it, so I, I, I again, I, I think people are starting to realize now that's a mistake and they realize they need to go, go deeper. They're realizing they need a well-defined target audience. And at the same time, they've got all these restrictions and hurdles. They've got, they've got, tight margins because of it an industry that's frankly over-regulated in a lot of ways and, and, and they allow themselves to get hung up on the marketing restrictions as well and so you see very little out of the box thinking and that's what we need when you have when you have restrictions like that and it, there's a lot of different directions we can we can take that um just the whole storytelling piece is like um it's very dynamic and it, it can spin off into all sorts of ways. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, when you reference out of the box thinking you in our, in our conversation so far and reading some of your posts and hearing, getting to hear some of your backstory, it seems that you have a, history of out of the box thinking. Like where did that come from? Is that something, did you grow up in a unique way did you see things differently or did you have a mean big sister or, you know, like what was it that kind of got you to see the world a little bit different than other people? Well, that's thanks. Thanks for asking about that. I've definitely have had a peculiar trajectory, you know, having left the States 15 years yeah. ago. Um, when you assimilate yourself into another country, it's almost like you develop two brains. Um, it's extremely powerful experience and it gives you a lot of ad ob objective um, insights on culture and yeah. humanity and 
And at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm an artist. I've, I've always looked at the world differently and I had a hard time in high school because of that. But, but the more I, the more I learned how to be myself and go forth and with confidence and, and courage. And, you know, I, I was talking to a friend, uh, Brad Bogus, who in New York, we were in New York for MJ Unpacked and we had a really nice stroll in Central Park. We stopped and talked and, you know, he was talking about the same thing, how he realized he was trying to do what everybody else was doing and it wasn't working for him. So he just he embraced who he was and he, he, he and that's when things started to work out. And he's a he's a big punk rock fan and I don't listen to punk, but I appreciate like the, sort of the punk rock values. And I've come to embrace that as well, you know, keeping this these sort of punk rock values in your heart. Um, which is a story in of itself, of course. To me, it sounds like authenticity. You know, in, in a lot of the times, if you don't conform, you get the hammer. People make fun of you. People, oh, you're a dummy, or, you, you know, that, that'll never work. And when I think of authenticity, I also think of fear because it's scary to go against the grain. It's scary to not fit in. And rightfully so, when you don't fit in, you get left behind. You get you get left there. But sometimes it's 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 that ability. I'll call it courage. The courage to go against the grain. And and I don't mean just willy-nilly. I mean taking real time to think about your decision and being like, I'm going to leave everything I've ever known. I'm going to sell all my stuff. I'm going to pack it into two black bags. I'm going to go to a place I've never been before. Like there's real growth that happens there. And I, I think about a lot of people I know who learn a second language, or if you know people who speak multiple languages, they usually have unique perspectives. Cause like you said, they're thinking in different ways. And if we look at culture as a language and you submerge yourself in another culture, it really allows you to help unfold the story in a way people that are monoculture wouldn't see because they've been conditioned that way. You know, and I, it's, it's really interesting to take it back to the idea of the story, authenticity, and maybe evolving out of the hero's journey. That's kind of a lot, man, but what do you think? <laughs> well, what, what's, the, what's the question here, George? <laughs> My question to you is authenticity. What role does that play in creating a engaging story? I think that's everything now. I know it's everything now. Like, look at LinkedIn, for example. Okay. Uh, I spend a fair amount of time on LinkedIn because, well, I, it's, I think it's my favorite social media platform. And that's where most of the cannabis industry is gravitated towards. And, and, but now, like, over the past couple of years, and other people have been talking about this. I was just commenting on it today how, like, LinkedIn has become this, this barrage of, of, of posts where people are trying to grow their audience. So they're doing what's worked for others, what they've learned from others. And you, you've got people just trying to play expert and just dr yeah. dropping, trying to sound smart, trying to add value. But, you know, either it's like uh, who 
I, I don't, I'm not sure I care about this or I don't understand what they're saying. And it, but it's, it's just a barrage of people playing expert and that I don't, maybe they're in some cases, their intention is authentic, but you know, when I think about authenticity, I think about sitting back and looking, looking at, at what's going on on LinkedIn. This is just an example. Yeah. And, and, and okay. Everybody's zigging. How can I zag? What can I get in and do on LinkedIn that 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 will be authentic for me and help me achieve whatever goals I'm I'm, I'm going for? And, and whether that's just showing up with with a story instead of some you know random advice that nobody asked for, or engaging with people in the comment section. I don't know where I'm going with it. Maybe I think there's better examples we could get into, but you know, authenticity, I think is you want to apply this to branding. Mm. I think it's impossible for a brand to really be authentic if they don't know what they're really about or who their audience is. You know, if they don't, if they're not super clear on their, on their mission method and message, um, how, how, how can you be authentic if you're having an identity crisis basically? Um, and yeah, most, most of them don't even realize that that's what's going on and they wonder why their, their marketing campaigns aren't resonating or uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of other aspects to that for sure. But does that answer your question? I feel yeah. like there's a lot more we could say about authenticity. I think it, it, it does require vulnerability vulnerability and there's this new movement at least i've noticed it the past couple of years called building in public yes well done um, which i i really like and i i think that's a great example of authenticity and and you know you want your storytelling to be transparent to a degree and and i think that yeah the idea of building in public has all sorts of merits that we could potentially unpack. Again, it's just another example, but uh, you can't, you can't be authentic if you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, then you, you got to be transparent about that. And, and it's the only way to figure it out. I love reading the stories about people who have, on some level failed and they talk about it. You know, I, there's some real, especially if you find yourself aligned with the story with which they're telling, it's like, they're leaving you a guidepost of, wow, I fell off the cliff right here and it hurt. Not because it was a far drop, but because these rocks have a bunch of thorny bushes and I hit my face on them. You know what I mean? So it's like, they're telling you watch out here, not because it's dangerous, but because here's what I did and here's how I fixed it. And I'm still recovering from it. And I think that speaks to the vulnerability, you know, that, that just a few years ago, it seemed that it was taboo to talk about your failures. It was taboo to be like, let people know that you were not Superman, you know? And, and I think it speaks volumes of, of building online and, and, and how people can identify with those stories. What are some other things about building online that are unique? and that you gravitate towards that you enjoy looking at when you see people doing it? 
Man, that's another great question. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know, authenticity, like we talked about, is, is huge, and of course, storytelling, and and like we've also talked about knowing your audience. Um, you know, that's. I think those are those are the biggest things, like knowing your yeah. brand, knowing your audience, having the storytelling dialed in. And being able to reach people across all mediums. Like if you're just doing pictures or on Instagram, or you're just doing video or, or just blog posts, or that's a shame because people have different content consumption preferences. So like, we're doing a podcast right now, which you repurpose as audio and video. And if you wanted to, you could turn this into uh, probably several blog posts, um, a newsletter. You could get a lot of lot of pieces of, of, of content out of out of one thing. Or let's say an operator is, you know, they decide they want to do blog posts. You know, you can repurpose each blog post as a newsletter. You can turn it into a video, which can also be a podcast. So there's very low hanging fruit ways to reach all, uh, all, all the different uh, uh, mediums. But you know what? What I I have a hard time getting into, and maybe it's just I think what's well, definitely just me and. I don't, I don't know if it's an age thing or not, but I've never really been yeah. interested in Instagram. I've never really been interested in TikTok. Like I recognize the power of those platforms, but um, for me, the, there, there's no, there's no meat in any of that. It's all a lot of it. A lot of it's very superficial, and I, I don't see it adding value. And um, Yeah, I'm kind of going off the rails. I need to have a dose of Sula here. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's beautiful. I, I I couldn't agree more. And I, I I think it speaks to the idea of the fragment fragmentation of the story. You know, I, I found in my life, and I think that this happens on LinkedIn and other socials, is that it gives you like a a reader perspective, like a third person point of view. Like when you can look at your work and see yourself as the main character in that work, that opens up other avenues to be like, well, what do I want this character to do? You know, and, and that's, that's easier than sitting back in my chair and be like, what the hell am I doing wrong? Like those are two different questions. What do I want my character to be? And where do I want them to end up? I think that helps people come to the answer of who am I? Well, maybe you're the character, maybe you're Don Quixote and you're, you're hanging out with Rosinante over here. You know, maybe you're putting the toilet bowl on your head right about now and like, okay, that's funny. And, and, you know, maybe you can equate that to a, a mistake that you've made, but what do you think about the platforms being a way for us to see ourselves as a third person and it could be an individual or a brand? You mentioned the hero's journey earlier i'm really big on that i think if you're marketing a brand or trying to get any message across 
to whether it's B2B or B2C, your target audience always needs to be the hero of, of every message. You need to position your target audience as a hero and your brand or service as the guide. Because like you said, they've got to be able to see themselves in that in that story, in that message, however short or long it is. What's the number one thing most people are concerned about? Themselves. I mean, you, the, that's that's probably the primary interest of, of every human there. No, no, nothing's more interesting to you than than you yourself. So when you see a message that feels like it was made exactly for you, in fact, that's how I got into cannabis. I'll tell you in a, in a second yeah, after I drink please. some water. Absolutely. So 2015, um, I, I was, I was looking for a new project to plug into and I decided to like write a cannabis book about, you know, all the ways I, I had found that cannabis could benefit my life and my work. And, um, I actually started researching cannabis online for the very first time, um, despite having, you know, I had, had it in my life for years and never thought to really uh, research it online. And I came across a, a video series called Coming Out Green. And it was this, it was this collection of uh, emotionally poignant videos of everyday people uh, coming on, on camera. A lot of them were black and white video. Getting in front of the camera and getting vulnerable about their cannabis story and how cannabis added value to their lives. And the the project moved me so much because I, I saw myself in, in all of those people. And I, I made my wife watch all the videos with me. I was writing for Vice at the time. So I I, I go and I interview the, the founder of this company, which was Max Simon. It was Greenflower Media. And, you know, we hit it off and I... I joined the team, but I, I, again, I, I just blows my mind that we don't see more of that because yeah, there, there are a lot of people have a lot of different types of relationships with cannabis. Um, there's a lot of different interest points that you, you could tap into as a brand and, and the hero's journey, but health and wellness is the biggest the, the biggest, the, this is the area where people have the most concern. Almost everybody has their own health and wellness concerns, whether it's optimizing their health or, or dealing with an issue. Um, you know, if you can get cannabis on their radar in a way that's relevant to them and, you know, leads them to a, you know, uh, an opportunity to, to try this out, uh, you're, you're going to, and it doesn't all have to happen online. In fact, I think there's a great point about, you know, especially these people who aren't into cannabis yet. Um, it's going to take very powerful storytelling uh, in general to uh, convert these people in, into figuring out a, a, you know, cannabis product for them and, and guidance, of course. But so yeah, it could be something like coming out green, but we can't underestimate the the power of in-person storytelling. Um, 
finding ways to engage with the community and getting these these stories out there. I mean, there's I'll stop there. I have a tendency to 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 just talk and talk until my brain you know seizes up. So let me throw it's it back awesome. to you. I th it's fascinating and I it's it's what I I love learning that. I I think that when people begin getting into their ideas that it's contagious. And so if you feel like if you feel like you're talking, man, just just keep rolling with it because it's fascinating and, and I, I want to encourage it. I, I another thing that I think about too in the world of storytelling that we see kind of evolving right now, and you touch on it a little bit with like Instagram and TikTok, is the power of the image. You know, we have these AI models now where you could text to image and a lot of the times on TikTok, sometimes it will just be a few words and an image, or it'll be an image and the person talks and the image of the word comes up. Like that, that seems to be a new modality to me. And maybe you could talk about the relationship between language and images in branding. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I come from an editorial background. So, mm -hmm. um, whenever I get to work with gra graphic, graphic designers, yeah. video producers, that is such a treat for me, for sure. And I think, uh, Kevin Rapp, Kevin Rapp is doing some amazing things with this, uh, not in cannabis, but in general, uh, check him out on LinkedIn. But anyways, uh, look, marketing, Successful marketing is all about pattern disruption and, and, you know, digital marketing, getting people to stop scrolling and, and pay attention to, to something. And it's, it's more challenging than ever for marketers. Imagery is a huge part of that. Um, it's a critical part of that. And, and I, but it, there has to be, it can't just be an image. There has to be something below that leads further down the funnel, whether it's a quick video or an interesting image, if it captures the, the attention of your target audience, great. But then what, you know, this is one thing that I talk about a lot. This top of funnel content. Um, I think, well, with Instagram and with things like Instagram and TikTok, it really needs to be more about, reminding your your fans that you're around and just staying on their radar you know th those platforms aren't going to do much in terms of lead generation or demand generation okay they're they're and wherever you're you're grabbing people with your imagery you've got to lead people in, in, into some sort of story driven funnel something that nurtures nurtures them along the the customer awareness levels into the desired action images alone won't cut it i mean what what's happening after that image that's the first place my mind goes to but imagery you know another you know if you're publishing videos on youtube and your thumbnail sucks people probably aren't going to click on it um, that thumbnail is really important, just like the the title beneath the, the thumbnail is equally as important. Oh, Stephanie's watching. Hey, Stephanie. 
<laughs> you know, in, in some ways, I see this as the evolution of language. Because you're right, it, it used to be you could have a, it used to be sex cells. You could have the pretty smile and people are there all day. On some levels, there these underlying phenomenon still work on the human psyche. But I think it's evolving. Like now you need to have the language, the story, the and the imagery. Like people are expecting more from, from the story. You know, and it seems like an evolution of language in some ways. Like, you know, you can really tell a deeper story with more modalities. You know, if you have a, a brilliant thumbnail, you have a great conversation, and you have a, a good title, it's like you have the the triton right there. You know what I mean? And what it, it could this be that okay, here, here's a here's a theory that I had. It's that words are but a fragment of language and it seems to me for the last hundred years we've been using language but now all of a sudden we're given a new part of language it's like we've had all these consonants now we're given vowels now we can start putting real words together that are more meaningful and when you stack words language with words with language with imagery now i can really begin to communicate meaning to you and maybe that's why marketing is stuck right now because there's only a few people like you that are beginning to understand hey there's there's so much here there's so much more happening like it's almost like we're beginning to practice a new language with these different modalities is that too far out there i think it's an interesting point and it, it i i think it this it requires more creativity and yeah. better storytelling than ever in order to kind of bring all this together into some form of alchemy yeah <clears throat> and for me it it obviously it's really helpful if you make sure you have all your foundational stuff dialed in uh, on the marketing and branding level. Like we said, you know your mission, your method, and your message. You have a well-defined target audience. And only then can you start to take it to the level that we're talking about. Yeah. And and then, you know, this is something else that Kevin Rapp talks mm -hmm. about, which I love. He talks about the importance of creating content systems which is basically like you instead of reinventing the wheel every time you want to publish a piece of content or launch a campaign or whatever getting a system together where you're you're capturing all this content in a specific way and you're creating a pool or a well to, to draw from um, whether it's content you can repurpose or like a, a ton of uh, different video segments that you can you can play around with creating s content systems and instead of trying to start from scratch every time is crucial because you know another part about this is it, it's it's it, this demand on content is it quality is more important than ever uh, the quality storytelling, quality visuals, it takes a lot of, it can take a lot of energy and resources 
to keep generating this content. So if you have systems in place that help you maintain quality and volume, you're able to obviously take your resources a lot further, which you need to because a lot of this is also about experimenting and A-B tests and understanding what works best. Um, experimenting is a huge part of that and, and being able to go back and look at the metrics, of course, and understanding what they're telling you and where you need to either reiterate or, or double down. Apparently, a lot of uh, marketers struggle with that, too, which I, I, I found surprising when I discovered that. But that's another form of storytelling is the metrics and the data. Do you think that there's a generational shift happening? You know, it seems that with, with such a large portion of the media seeming to be, the, the heads of the media seem to be, and this is just limited knowledge that I have, but it seems like the boomer generation has driven the narrative for so long. And they've, they've had tons of success and they did great things with media and narrative and propaganda and, and things like this. Can it, is it possible that what we're seeing right now is a kind of a passing of the baton and maybe that's why it's an experimental stage. Like there's a new, there's a new wave coming through and things are changing. There's the same way that generations see the world differently. Are we beginning to see that in the stories we're telling? And then is that moving towards marketing and branding? Yeah, your question. I was thinking about mainstream media during the first part of your question. And I think, you know, all the media, that we're so inundated right. with, with people trying to grab our attention. And I think it really goes back to authenticity. Yeah. And people are going to go with what resonates with them. And, and so knowing your audience is crucial. You can't be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it, it, for me, it, it it's, it's, and I, and I think people are more sensitive that to that now than ever, because the media is so fragmented before it was like, you know, like three TV channels <laughs> and, and, you know, so yeah, it was a lot easier to, to control the narrative and, now there's, yeah, there's a lot of propaganda and narrative controls in place that are extremely complex and widespread. And mm -hmm. it's a whole other conversation. I don't know if we want to get into, but um, as far as the branding and marketing side, it, it really goes back to authenticity and not, not being afraid to be authentic, to get vulnerable, to, to celebrate uh, those values or, you know, you know, if you're developing a personal brand, you know, don't be afraid to call things out and or ask questions or, or get curious or, um, yeah, a lot of ways, a lot of different ways we could take that. But let me throw it back yeah. to you, George. Yeah. In your opinion, is storytelling the ultimate strategic tool for influencing human behavior? And if so, how do we use it ethically and effectively? It is the ultimate tool. <laughs> you, because you can't, you can't persuade without it. 
And it's not, even if you're, even if you're giving out free samples of like a food item in the supermarket, you know, you're trying to trigger that, that very human element of reciprocity. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not even going to try to say it right now. It's it's (laughs) 9 PM where I'm at almost, but anyways, you know, and the, the, usually what happens is even if the person doesn't like the sample, they're, they're a lot more likely to buy it anyways, just because they feel like returning a favor. This was a gift of some kind, but even that's a, a form of storytelling. It's not, you're not engaging in, in, in a, a, a story as we normally think of it, but there's a very real story going on in the consumer's mind. And I, I forgot your question. We were just talking about storytelling being the ultimate strategic tool. Yes. Name a, you know, name a, okay, let's look at, um, this is good. You remember Sanjay Gupta's CNN documentary Weeds and and he interviewed this, he did this documentary on the late Charlotte Figge. Uh, And all of a sudden everybody not everybody, but there was this huge firestorm about CBD. They saw how this family was using it to ease this child's seizures. Uh, a lot of buzz around CBD uh, came up, and th- this created a fire under the policymakers to do something about it. The same thing happened with uh, Alfie Dingley in the UK. Uh, the message got out, the story got out about how cannabis had really uh, made an impact on this boy's life and his family. Of course, lawmakers kind of made a mess of things after. Um, but the that grassroots level storytelling, this is just an example, um, is how you can achieve real policy change. Getting getting the voters excited about an issue, having them press their politicians, their local elected officials, that's all storytelling. Um, I'm getting a little tired because of the time here, so I feel like I'm starting to lose my train of thought more and more, but I, I want to keep talking, George. So You're crushing it, man. This is all, you're, you're being way too hard on yourself. It's It's fascinating. And you have a really unique view, and that's why I'm, I'm loving this, the stories that we're talking about. And I, you know, there's a. I feel that human behavior and stories and experience are, they're all fascinating. They've been with us for so long. You know, when I think about the way in which we used to disseminate information, it used to be all verbal. Like when you look back to like, you know the the ancient homeric verses it would be a guy would come and tell a story and then that gave people a way to imagine the story in their own mind and kind of create it in their own way you know i'm wondering in your opinion how, how does the digital age with its rapid dissemination of information and stories impact the way we construct meaning like it, it seems you know what i mean by that let me try to make it a little bit better of a question it seems that we've gone from storytelling, the spoken word, into a more robust 
direct way, like immediate, maybe the 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 imagery no longer allows for the interpretation of the story. Like imagery is so good now. And we've already spoken about how Instagram can use words and imagery to put the idea right in your head. Do you think that that's a different way of thinking than the older way of storytelling where I would interpret the story like through verbal communication? You know, what I see happening, Not this isn't happening to everybody, but you know, we mentioned how fragmented the media landscape is now. And what yeah. I see happening is, and I think a, the AI powered algorithms of these, these platforms um, are driving a lot of this where people get sucked deeper and deeper into specific narratives um, that they subscribe to, they identify with, and it goes so deep to the point where they can't accept any other possible narrative mm. their thinking patterns become very rigid and very sensitive and um which is extremely binary thinking when they you know they you know they think their their way is is correct and everything else is wrong um and i i think that's less to do with the visuals other part of that but more like i said more to do with these algorithms that are just consistently reinforcing and churning up more and more of the same uh, stuff in your your feed based on what you're already doing and so that it's a lot of people got really excited about ai at, when chat gpt made it first made its splash and they didn't fully appreciate that AI has already been influencing our lives um, daily uh, for, for a few years now, um, whether it's through Google search results or like we said, these, these the algorithm algorithms on these social media platforms uh, that's AI at work there. And so I, I think that's the, the bigger, storytelling question now i was reading a book on the i can't remember who wrote it was actually a, a few people who worked on this book together including eric schmidt and mm. um, kissinger henry kissinger was also involved in, in, in a few other people and they were talking about how um you know one we all have a responsibility to kind of actively learn as everything we can about AI and understand what's going on and so we can make informed decisions about how to integrate it in ways that that resonate with our our values uh, but also a really interesting point you know talking about perception and people clinging on to different narratives you know what happens when you have like ent entire countries for example that are feeding off of a different AI systems, right? So they're, they're, they're developing completely different views of the world yeah. based on whatever they're getting out of their AI system. And this is happening on the individual level too. Um, but it, I think it creates, um, I think it creates really, important rifts in 
society and civilization that we have to be sensitive to and we have to figure out ways to to bridge somehow um because this yeah and there's all sorts of different ways that that it could manifest itself yeah. um, whether we're talking about somebody who goes on a their own rabbit hole with chat gpt you know focused on a specific direction with their their business or their mission or whatever based on however they've been training their own their own chat gpt experience versus like we said like entire countries and how they're interacting and understanding reality compared to other countries and of course there are obviously already big sort of mismatches in uh perception which is why we have so much conflict um the storytelling just keeps coming back to me is you know the it can be something that divides people or something that unites people depending on how you use it it's such a powerful tool um i have my my friend andreas uh says that uh, storytelling ought to be taught in schools <laughs> which i agree with but i'm i'm also a bit reluctant because i know how powerful it is um, you know, when I, when I went to, I went to a Jesuit school in Kansas city called Rockhurst and the, the education is so powerful that they required us to take ethics classes. So we didn't use the education for evil. And I think that's, yeah, storytelling's right up there. Um, if you know your storytelling and th this is the crazy thing about how, you know, universities and ed the education system in general is starting to cut back on humanities oh. the humanities and which is that's also mind-boggling because wh that's what's that going to do to somebody's ability to not only engage in storytelling but you know um, scrutinize storytelling and you know being able to scrutinize storytelling and understand if somebody's trying to manipulate you in a negative way or not is you know that's an important conversation for sure yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It you know, in some ways you could argue that the storytelling that takes place in a lot of schools is the history they teach. You know, depending on where you live, you have a different history. You start thinking about what's true. You know, and that that's a whole another rabbit hole in itself is like what what is the story of what is true? And then you start thinking to yourself like, man, you got to go back to Socrates. Is that true? <laughs> You know, and then we're back with we're back with with the ancient Greeks, which may have had it the right way. The the way you teach is the you sit down with someone and and you just ask questions. You know, maybe that's an interesting way way to begin forming your own story. You know, here's an interesting one I've been thinking about. I've been working a, a lot with psychedelics lately, and it seems to me that cannabis shares this same attribute, and it's that it really allows for another perspective. You know, and I. Have you seen that as a a selling point or a a narrative in the world of cannabis? Is the fact that it allows you to see things different? Might that be something res worth research? Yeah, I think that's an important question, um, important factor for psychedelics and cannabis, and we we can talk about psychedelics too. Okay. But my uh, friend uh, Sebastian Marincolo. Uh, based in uh, Berlin, is a, a consciousness researcher. 
And uh, in a way, a, a cannabis philosopher, he's he's come up with, uh, at first it was 10, but now uh, it's like 15 distinct cognitive effects of cannabis. 15 Man. different cognitive effects. Everything from like mind racing, episodic uh, memory recall, which Carl Sagan wrote about um, as Mr. X. I got some Carl Sagan stories. <laughs> nice. Um, to dang it, uh, hyper focus. There's there's fifteen. We could I could look them up if if we wanted to dive deeper into those sometime. But you know the the point is that it takes a lot of experience to be able to consciously one to understand right. those 15 different effects and to be able to consciously uh, tap into those um, and know how to get there. But before that, you know, comes desire and understanding the importance of being able to gain perspective from these altered states. There's a lot of stigma around this and I think that that's a really interesting story challenge to storytelling challenge for, for cannabis and psychedelics. You know, the psychedelic side, um, I was, I was talking to Dr. Sunil Agarwal about, he's the one that was part of this lawsuit. He's a physician out of, I think he's based in yeah, Washington state. He was part of this lawsuit against the DEA for, uh, not letting him try uh, psilocybin with his terminal patients. Um, you know, Washington State has a right to try law. You know, if you're a terminal patient, you're allowed to try any drug you want. Um, if you're, you know, I, I don't know all the nuances of that law, but they tested it with the DEA. The DEA rejected them. And, and so there's this lawsuit going on. But Dr. Agarwal, we have a lot of respect for him. He was talking about how this vision of like, um, you know, imagine being able to like, no matter what religion you're, you're, whether you're, you're Baptist or Catholic or whatever, being able to go to your, your priest and, and uh, for, for, a, for a guided psychedelic experience. Like as someone who's experienced psychedelics myself, who's also spiritual I think that stuff like whether it's a priest or a therapist or whatever, I think this is critical for the healing of the world because it's the only way we're talking about these rigid mindsets. We've got to get out of that type of thinking. We need the world needs open minded thinking. It needs curiosity, compassion more than ever. And for me personally, um, um, Cannabis definitely has helped me with that as a as a professional in many ways, and as a human being, um, you know, creativity, problem solving, just being able to step back and, and and get perspective on things. And of course, that's you don't get that if you're if you're using cannabis constantly. If you're just dosing throughout the day and you're you're totally stoned out of the, out of your gourd, you, you don't have that element of contrast. And there's also an, a point of diminishing returns when when somebody's uh, taking too much of anything. 
Um, and yeah, psychedelics are, I think, you know, let me give you just a quick story. Yeah, please. Um, I was in Greece for my first three years here. I, I, I couldn't really find any good cannabis and it was really hard. I finally found some through somebody who became a dear mentor of mine. Um, is an art was an artist uh had a very interesting career on madison avenue and all that but the i so i go to his studio for the first time we have a smoke and my my mind is just full of ideas and i love that mind racing but the first you know epiphany i had that was like holy smokes i've been drinking too much lately i need to i need to cut that back like I don't think I would have had that that revelation if it weren't for cannabis. There's been a lot of times where cannabis has given me epiphanies that have um, changed my life forever. Um, that I've acted on, and it's. I think my challenge as a creative is wanting to experience that that sort of epiphany, state of epiphany and creative ecstasy all the time. Yeah. Which, um, that's not, not sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not from lack of trying. Madmen, yeah. You know, you gotta. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's nice to, you can go to the mountaintop, but you can't stay there. And, and it's important to remember, like you're up here to get a view where you were at, where you're going. But eventually you got to go back down and start and start hiking again. <laughs> but it's sure nice to be up there, man. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. Now that's what I'm doing. If we're okay. You know, in 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 your consulting, you talk about magnetizing messaging. Maybe you could break that down for us. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly what we've been talking <laughs> about, George. Like under, well, understanding your mission, your method, and your message and getting the right message to the right audience. If you're able to deliver messaging that resonates with them, whether it's a, I don't care what it is, whether it's like a video campaign or a, a you, know, you know, an article you post somewhere or whatever, an ad, um, if, if it, if it can truly resonate with your audience and they're, their pain points and their desires uh, in a clear way, you, it, it's going to act like a magnet. It's going to gravitate this target audience towards you. That's why the target audience needs to be very well-defined. Okay, only then can you speak a language that makes sense for this specific audience. You don't want to go too general, which is hard. Um, I, 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 I struggle with that myself and, you know, marketing my consulting. Cause I, you know, I, I love to play in all sorts of areas. So, you know, that's up to me to set up different messaging sequences and, and funnels and outreach depending it's nuanced for that target audience. It has to be nuanced and, and, but magnetizing them you know, at, this at the top of the funnel, we call it, is just the, the first step of, of this. You, you, you've got to keep that nurturing process going. 
Like if you, let's say you do a Facebook ad campaign or some kind of ad camp, online ad campaign, the tendency is to funnel traffic from this ad straight to your offering, which you can do that, but you know, is that how you would, you would try to sell someone at a party? Like you show up to the party and you're like, Hey, check out this cool message. <laughs> oh, and you want to buy this thing? <laughs> um, you've got to, you got to have, I, I, I advise brands to take that online ad campaign and, and, and advertise something that's free where you can collect their email. And by the way, email, your email list is the most powerful marketing asset that you can cultivate. Um, extremely valuable for any business. Anything you're doing in social media, it's all rented space. Being able to get people in their email or, or being able, you know, whether it's sending them messages on their phone, however they prefer. Um, you've got to have these nurturing sequence set up to keep that magnetized effect going. Like if you're doing an email sequence, you need to have like four nurture emails where you're, you're adding value with each one soft sale and a PS at the end, and then a hard sell email. Right. And because you're, you're adding value and you're resonating with them, you're going to convert more of this target audience into loyal customers assuming that you you know your what you've got is is great yeah when i read that like there's a lot of things when i just when i came across magnetizing messaging like i think it speaks volumes of the way you think like there's so much there it's an alliteration it's two words that have not quite a rhyme to them, but they definitely have a relationship towards each other. And I think that you can, you know, it's magnetizing in a way. In some ways, I'm like, this guy's thought a lot about how to get a message across in a short amount of ways. It's very attractive. It's amazing how you can see that in 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 some words. Or like, is is that? Is that the same way in which you create larger campaigns? Do you put that same type of thought into them? Like, what? Maybe you could talk a little bit more about your thought process there. Like, it's fascinating to me. Like, are you like, okay, I'm going to make it an alliteration and I'm going to choose these two words and I'm going to go to the dictionary to find this one that matches with that? Like, how do you find the harmony in the campaign? Like, is that something unique to you or does that come from traveling or? What can, what can you expand on that a little bit? You know, I think that working with language is, is important and being able to play as a copywriter, mm -hmm. um, word choice. And of course you can A-B test everything, but you know, Greg uh, Hahn uh, of Mischief USA who, by the way, is one of my favorite advertising agencies. He told me something I'll never forget. You know, they, they do these, they win advertising agency of the year every year. They're doing, they're shaking up corporate vibes. They're doing all sorts of cool stuff. And, and he, he said their, their process is simple. 
we one we think about what do we want to say and two how do we want to say it and you know there's all sorts of ways you can play with copywriting now um i use i i love playing with chat gpt yeah. not as a as a copy and paste uh although i've got it to a point where i i can get stuff out of there that i, I can i could easily copy and paste if i wanted to but using chat gpt has been great uh as a way to just start start with some ideation and, and you know give me some things to start playing with versus uh working from a, a total blank canvas mm -hmm. you know another part of word choice goes back to really knowing your audience well and mm -hmm. being able to actually talk to your customers talk to people record the language they're using is that those language choices are that's what's going to resonate with the people right. you're trying to reach so incorporating that kind of input is crucial um, it's crazy how many brands don't talk to their audience which is a huge marketing I, I i won't work on a marketing campaign if there's no clarity on audience um you know we need we need to we need to go back to ground zero get the foundational stuff in order like i i keep saying understanding your mission your method and your message only then can you start playing with language in a meaningful way yeah it's it's um i As a strategist who challenges the status quo, what advice would you give to businesses looking to challenge conventional marketing, wisdom, and stand out in their industry? I think that that's a really good question. And I think a lot of the conventional, the conventional stuff still works and mm. status quo that when i say that i mean i'm talking about like we've talked about you know uh marketing funnels great copywriting clear message knowing your audience this is marketing 101 but a lot of people are forgetting this um or you know they or they're afraid to be vulnerable they're afraid to shake up corporate vibes those are the types of status quos that, that I like to break up. I like to come in and work with brands when they realize that something's not working with their marketing, the messaging's not resonating. And you, you go in and you see that like most CMOs don't have a, a, a documented process in place for their, their marketing automation, which blows my mind. And we don't want to get too carried away with processes. Um, I mean, that's another, maybe another uh, point about processes versus strategies and playbooks and all that. But, you know, back to the original question, um, challenging the status quo in my mind really uh, means coming back and, and, you know, pausing to address what you're doing internally um, and with your target audience and, 
understanding when something's not working or when it's working or understanding when you need to iterate or reiterate on something, um, you know, being able to, to change how you're doing things if something's not working. And it's crazy how you, you see a, a lot of, a lot of brands are just kind of on autopilot with their marketing. Yeah. It's not really working. They don't understand it. Or maybe they're getting like results in, in one area and, but it's not, it's not translating into any sort of uh, notable ROI. It's not, they're not getting any uh, impact on their bottom line because for example, maybe they're, yeah, they're crushing it on SEO, but they don't have any funnels set up to, to really capture the traffic. Um, just an example. But I, I think another thing that comes to mind about challenging the status quo, like we were talking about earlier, um, look at what everybody else is doing. You know, they're, they're zigging. If you want to stand out, you've, you've got a zag. And I think in my mind, you know, the best way you can zag is, you know, authenticity, being vulnerable with your storytelling. And like we, like we said, you can't do any of that if you don't, if you're having an identity crisis as a brand mm -hmm. or you don't know who you're selling to. Um, so it's, I think it's a mix of breaking up the status quo and, and learning how to better make Bet, make the conventional proven tactics uh, work in your favor. There's a lot of talk right now with like the creator economy and, and I've heard people talk about everyone's their own brand right now. Do you have any thoughts on like personal branding and, and, and how that might be developing or is that, is that a thing? I think it's, yeah, and personal brand is, I think it's important to have a personal brand these days. Um, and at the same time, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about um, the value of the personal brand or maybe not misconceptions, but like a lot of people just want to raise their personal brand so they can sell online courses and, and you know basically monetize yeah which is fine but you know this goes back to another thing we we're talking about earlier like like on linkedin there's this sort of wave of people just trying to build their personal brand and, and they're all just sort of playing expert and it's like a, a deluge of mediocre storytelling um, oftentimes by people who maybe they mean well, um, I've got a lot of interesting people in my feed, but there's a lot of stuff in there where you, you can see that these, I think, tw I think Twitter's really bad about this. Um, everybody's just sort of mimicking what they learned from, you know, somebody who came before them and had a successful experience with personal branding and turned it into an online course and, Mm -hmm. that's become its own status quo. And I, I think it's important for people to really assess what, what a personal brand means to them and 
why they want to build a personal brand. I'll, I'll tell you in my experience, yeah. I spent a lot of time sort of going in circles this past year, trying to develop my consulting platform. I was calling it story gurus. And I, I had this epiphany a few weeks ago that Gregory Fry consulting was a much better branding for this because one trust trust is critical and it's a lot easier to establish trust with somebody who is out there um, operating under their own name versus some mysterious brand that you you don't know what this brand is and there's so there's a lot of you know, I didn't want to be bothered with the all the nurturing of, of, of a story guru's brand. I, I want to help other people grow their brands. And so I, I realized that story gurus was a total distraction to my goals. Mm -hmm. um, so Gregory Fry Consulting, it, it's become, and uh, things have really uh, changed since then. Um, a lot more momentum, <clears throat> a lot more interesting projects in the pipeline now that I got this distraction out of the way. But there's all there's all sorts of uh, a value a personal brand can add um, if if that's of interest to you. And I think that if you're going to grow a personal brand, it it needs to be authentic. It needs to be it needs to be what you're really about. It needs to be in line with your values. If you're just doing it to make money, I think people will see through that. And like any messaging, really. Um, and so I, and I, I think there's that that's a big part of the deluge. It's people that just they, they want to work for themselves and make money and, and they're, they're, they're trying their best. But um, especially younger people doing this, they I think that um, Gary Vaynerchuk really inspired a lot of people in this way. Uh, you know, a lot of young people got this sort of, you mentioned the creator economy and some people call it solopreneurship and this, you know, and I, it's, I think it's extremely important and I think that's where things are going. And it's, it's important that if you feel like you can innovate in this area, you should go for it for sure. It's much better if you can figure out a way to, add value to people or businesses instead of just working for somebody else. Um, there's all sorts of value you can add, all sorts of interesting things you can get into. But my advice to young people in this case, you realize that you've got to climb mountains. <laughs> you've got to climb mountains to really get that experience that's, that's going to add value in the right way. And, like I'm, I'm going to be 40 in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm still climbing mountains. Um, this past year has been totally transformational for me. Even the past few months, uh, just navigating and, and, and learning and, you know, figuring out big challenges. And that's, that's been, all that is wrapped up in, you know, what I'm developing as my personal brand and Gregory Fry Consulting. And, you know, I'm growing my own business for the first time. And, you know, after working on 
different startups and other different projects over the past several years. So realize though you've, you've got to climb mountains and you're, 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 if you're young, you know, I, I'd be more hungry for experience than a, a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I, I would, who was it? It was like Warren Buffett when he was in his youth, he offered to work for his hero for free his business hero. He offered to work for him for free. And the guy looked at him and said, you're too expensive <laughs> because he knew that all the training and, you know, education that would be required. And Buffett knew that as well. <laughs> and that's what he was hungry for. So, and, but I think at any, no matter what age you, you're, you're in, um, curiosity and listening and, and trying to, like we talked about earlier, just, just embracing that, that student ethos um, is, is critical and you can't always be an expert and, or pretend to be an expert. Um, again, authenticity comes up again. Yeah. It, it's wonderful advice. You know, I, I heard um, <clears throat> when you think about climbing mountains, forgot who it was but they were asking him someone that was a mountain climber or something and they're like how come you were unable to climb this last mountain was the mountain too hard and he goes it's never the mountain that's too hard it's the rock in your shoe you know what it is like i thought that was such salient advice i'm like it is it's that little thing that like ow it hurts ow it hurts okay i can't do it you know but it's 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 not the giant mountain it's like this one damn thing that just is constantly picking at you, you know, and it's, I, I really love it. I, Gregory, th this conversation has exceeded all my expectations, man. I, this is one of my favorite marketing and branding uh, podcasts that I've done. It's a fantastic conversation. And I think that you have a very unique way of looking at the world. And I, I love learning from you, man. Thank you very much for it. It's been fun. I, I we're going to have to do more of them because I think we just scratched the surface and uh, I think there's a lot of different directions we could go. But before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Before we go there, George, I wanted to respond really quick about the, the rock and the shoe. Okay, um, please. You know, when you were talking about that, I thought of, you know, another metaphor, the, the pebble and the hose. <laughs> I don't know. And, and so for a lot of people that rock in the shoe or the pebble in the hose is, is a mindset issue. Um, it could also be an integrity issue, which well I think those, those two um, kind of work, work together in, in a lot of ways, but mindset is critical and there's storytelling happening there as well. And that's the story. Tell the stories we tell ourselves. Yes. In, 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 the stories, the narratives that we're, we're receiving from the media we consume or the, the people we surround ourselves with. Um, so I, I think it's crucial to always be sensitive of, of that. And um, every, everything, everything comes back to the mindset and our, how we approach the day-to-day -day life and our struggles and uh, our successes mindset so i just wanted to i felt compelled to share that but yeah people well, 
Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, okay. George. So, so he, that brings up another idea as you were saying that, like, in your opinion, do you think that our inner dialogue is a reflection of the stories that we live out in our life? And, and does that play a role in the way in which we help other people see their life? Like maybe that's a giant component of why you're good at what you do is that your inner dialogue. It's the stories you tell yourself internally that translate in the ability for other people to see things. I think what makes me good at what I do is not so much the story in my head but the desire to get curious about the story in other people's heads. <laughs> what can you talk about that a little bit? Like the desire to see the story in other people's head. Like what, it, what does that mean? Yeah. So like <laughs> when I was a kid, like sixth grade, we moved to a small town in Kansas and Almost every day, there was a, there was a couple blocks from me. There was an old woman who lived by herself, and she was always sitting out on her front porch. I'm sixth grade, I'm twelve years old. Every time I saw her sitting on her porch, I would stop, I would sit with her, and I would listen and get as many stories out of her as I could. Same thing when I'm around my grandparents. I'm always peppering them for stories, and I've always been like that. And no matter who it is, I I if I'm not actively learning from them or, or teaching them, I'm bored. Mm. Um, it's this insatiable, maybe I think it's part of my ADHD. This, I, I'm always so curious about new things and always it's easy for me to get super excited about learning new things. Like for me now it's finance. I'm like diversifying into finance and uh, getting ready to work with, uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, advisors uh, and, and work and serve them with storytelling, which is huge. Um, but again, it's about, it's always getting curious about not the story in my head, but the story in their head and, and how can I work my magic as, as, as a storyteller to create a compelling message that, that is, engaging to to whether it's to read or watch or or whatever is is a mergers and acquisition story like jonah in the whale like a story of consumption or is it a story of a, a romantic love affair coming together <laughs> you know like 70 to 90 percent of mergers and acquisitions end in failure that's because there's very little soft diligent diligence that happens and there, there's very little awareness around the storytelling that needs to happen at, at the cultural level mm. um when you're when you're essentially merging two company cultures together or what if you're trying to sell a company um yeah you could have your investment analyst uh put together all the numbers and you know, that's usually the way to do it. Pretty dry, but these are the numbers. This is what you need to know. Um, they're crazy for thinking that's really going to move the needle compared to, and it does, but imagine the success rate if, if you could 
weave those numbers into a compelling story that that, that catches the other person's attention. Mm-hmm. You know, as marketers, we have to pique people's curiosity. That's like the number one, like frontline job of any marketer. And if you're trying to sell a business or merge, merge businesses or whatever, there's there's marketing there. Um, whether it's internal marketing or external marketing. So I'm just now, I'm just now like um, really getting into the MA space and talking to MA people. And um, it's exciting for sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of room for spirituality there because on some level, it seems to me one of the problems there would be that a lot of times mergers and acquisitions mean the loss of jobs for people. But that could easily be turned into a transformation story about a death and a rebirth because in some ways it is like you're getting rid and you're, you know, with death is like a season. You know, you have the end when winter comes, it's like a death, but that death is necessary so that there can be a spring. You know, it's but th- I think that that's and, and, and I think that for far too long, spirituality has been neglected in the world of business, in the world of, of science, even on some level, the subjective, the subjective nature of spirituality is something that a lot of people, regardless of your faith is grounded in, and people are thirsty for that. I mean, it's gotta be done ethically. I'm not saying people should weave some story about a uh, Jonestown, you know, you don't want to go too far on that level, but there's some <laughs> real truth in there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You're not going to drink the company Kool-Aid? I was forced to drink it too many times. It's way too bitter. And I, for me, I, I, I refused the last round and I was excommunicated. So <laughs> <laughs> I refused to put on the purple Nikes, man. I'm not wearing them. I'm not going to do it. You know, that, that it's a really interesting point. And, and there, there, look, there's four elements of human health. It's, uh, physical, mental, spiritual, and social. Mm. And they all interconnect with each other. If one is compromised, it's going to affect the others. And yet, so th- this is really important for uh, companies, company cultures, cultures that, that are that want to support and, and, and their employees and their teams as much as possible. So they're th- all thriving. I mean, those are excellent company cultures to work in. Yeah. And that, that spirituality thing is interesting. Um, because it's, it's, it's a very sensitive nuanced topic that a lot of people, um, feel very closed minded about other people feel very open-minded about it. You know, when one of the things that comes to my mind about, maybe a way to approach that indirectly is there's lots of ways, um, but, you know, shaking up those corporate vibes and embracing, finding ways to embrace the human factor mm-hmm. um, within a company and, you know, with that company's uh, external messaging, like embracing the human factor that again, that brings us right back to storytelling understanding the what's the narrative happening you know in the you know at the team level um i'm losing my train of thought again i'm gonna stop there i lose it i lose my 
It, it, it reminds me, I was talking to a, a gentleman, Lloyd Lobo, a while back, and he was talking about the the story of NASA. And, and I forgot the names of the people, but the paraphrasing the story, it was something like these the rocket scientists go into the NASA building at like three in the morning and there's the janitor, you know, he's, he's meticulously cleaning like the, the feet of the chair. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm putting the man on the moon. You know, and it just goes to show you when everyone at the corporation and everyone realizes how important their job is. Now you have a business worth having. Now you have people that are, that realize they're an integral part of the situation. And like that, that just makes for a better environment, a better place and a way better story. Like we just got to tell ourselves better stories so that everyone has a part. And regardless, if you had a walk on part in the war, it's better than a lead role in a cage. Right. Thank you. Pink Floyd. <laughs> oh man. That, that P, the pink Floyd reference is a, that's a good, I think that's a good segue to wrap up here. Okay. Um, <laughs> I need a bio break, but I'm, yeah, it's late here. I hear I, you, man. I feel like we could talk. I know. All day, George. I, this has been so awesome engaging <laughs> with you. And um, yeah, and you, you asked where people can find me online. I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. Um, my website thegregoryfry.com um check it out I'm still adding stuff to that but it's some interesting projects in the pipeline and nothing i i want to disclose yet but um i'm very excited about the next few months and the next year and a lot of uh, interesting things happening for sure i'm excited too i really enjoyed this conversation and it's really engaging and fun and we'll have more of them because I, I, I learned a lot and I got a lot of great comments here and I, I really, really enjoyed it. So hang on briefly. I'll talk to you briefly afterwards, but ladies and gentlemen, check him out. There's a reason why he's on the podcast. There's a reason why he's doing the things he's doing. And there's a gargantuan reason why he has so many projects in the pipeline. He has a unique view and uh, it's, it's, it's worth engaging with. It's beautiful. So that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances... I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. 
But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.